0: Hey, I don't know about you, but it feels good to be in church today. Anybody agree? Let me hear you say yes. Yes. Let me set that up even one more time. The Bible says that the church, that the house of God is the living church of God. And if you're excited to be in the house of God with the people of God, let me hear you say yes. yes. That sounded great. Hey, we are in the middle of a series called Questions from Jesus. On the count of three, say that. Ready? One, two, three. You guys are like, he's making us talk a lot today. That's because your voice matters. We're in a series called Questions from Jesus. And we're taking a look at the burning questions that Jesus asked that changed our world. And there's another question that we're asking, and it's this. It's how does the questions of Jesus reveal to us the heart of Jesus? Because I just think that if we had a real glimpse of the heart of Jesus, it just might change everything. My name is Aaron and I'm one of the pastors here. I'm the creative pastor and I'm so excited to be with you. And fun fact about me, the more that you say the word amen, the shorter I will preach. That's our deal. Okay, that was a test. That was a test. Wrong place, Andrew, but I like your enthusiasm. Okay, so have you ever noticed that the right question can change your life? The right question can change your life. 15 years ago, on February 7th, 2008, I asked a question to a woman named Andrea Grillo that would change the trajectory of our lives. But have you ever noticed that when you're ready to ask a big question, you have to do a little bit of work to set the stage? Any romantic people in the house? Anybody disappointed that someone wasn't romantic enough to you on Valentine's Day? Um, So I, I was just like building up to this moment. I knew that I was madly in love with this woman, even though I didn't know what to call it for a while. I was like, mom and dad, I don't know what it is. Is it's just like every time she walks in a room, like my heart beats fast and I get sweaty and I'm happy and shy and scared and it's good and weird. And they're like, yeah, I think you're probably gonna marry her. And so the time had come. I had purchased the wedding ring. It was in my pocket. And so on the day of February 7th, I go and pick her up and we go to our favorite places to eat. We get a coffee at Starbucks, of course, because can't do this without caffeine. And then the day continues. I had all these surprises planned for her. Uh, I rented out a movie theater on our college campus where I played a 20-minute slideshow of our life, our dating life together. And I'm like, I hope this doesn't tip her off. (laughs) Um, And then... We, um, I wanted to like literally take it to the next level. And so I had a friend who was in college to become a pilot. And so I was like, bro, like, can you take us up in your plane? He was like, let's do it. I was like, let's go. And so we go to the airport. It's right at sunset. God is like participating. The sunset that night is like on fire. It's gorgeous. And I take her up in the plane. I mean, I didn't, I was sitting patiently as the man Flew the plane. We went up in the plane. We got the headphones on. We flew out over the Peaks of Otter, a beautiful mountain range in the Shenandoah Valley of Virginia. It was gorgeous. We land the plane. I'm feeling good. I'm like, we can't go wrong. And so we make our way to dinner. We get all dressed up, and I take her to this historic spot in the downtown area of our little town, and there were roses and camera people waiting. And I got down on one knee, and I said, to Andrea, will you marry me? And she said, what, are you kidding me? <laughs> and then she asked a second question. Did you ask my dad? And I'm thinking, you mean you're Italian, mafia looking, gold chain wearing, cigar chomping dad? Yes, I asked him. Why do you think my hands are shaking? Yes, I asked your dad. And she said, yes, I'll marry you. Isn't it cool how... The right question can change our life. I'm here today because I believe that we're going to look at a question in the scripture that could change our lives. It's a bold question that Jesus asked, and it reverberates through history. It's a provocative question. In fact, I think it's so provocative that Pastor Stephen left the state because he wanted me to ask you, not him. <laughs> and here's the question Why do you doubt? Why? do you doubt? Have you ever noticed that talking about doubt in church is like talking about candy at the dentist? Just makes you feel guilty and you've probably lied about it at some point. But if you can't talk about it there, then where can you talk about it? Today we're going to dive into that conversation. I want to give you a little passage background before we reread this text because there's so much power in the word of God. Let me tell you a little bit about what King Jesus has been doing up to this point. So Jesus has been on the scene in full-fledged ministry for two years, just like centuries of prophecy predicted that he would. He's going around the countryside and by his life, his word, his teaching, his healing, and his friendship, Jesus is turning the world upside down. Jesus is preaching provocative things like find your enemy so you can love your enemies. Forgive those who hurt you and you will find freedom. He said things like the kingdom of God is breaking through and that your deepest desires will be met in the person of Jesus himself and he's stirring up all kinds of unrest I don't know if you know this but there has never been peace in the Middle East and Jesus took a match and threw it into the powder keg and a year from the moment that we're going to read today Jesus would experience the full fledge of this cultural tension as he stretched out his arms on the cross but here's what else we see about Jesus When he met people who needed to learn, you know what he did? He taught them. And that's what the kingdom of God looks like. And when he found people who needed healing, you know what he did? He didn't debate whose fault it was that they were sick. You know what he did? He healed them. And that's what the kingdom of God looks like. And when Jesus found hungry people, you know what he did? He didn't find someone to blame or try to figure out what went wrong where so that they're hungry. He just kept it really simple. When Jesus found hungry people, you know what he did? He fed the people. And that's what the kingdom of God looks like. And in setting the stage in the story that we're going to read, because Jesus asks a big question, and can I tell you, he sets a big stage. We're going to explore that. Jesus has just preached to thousands on a hillside. I got to stand once in Israel on the spot where many historians believe Jesus preached this message, and it's overlooking a gorgeous body of water. It's a lake, but it's known as the Sea of Galilee, And he preaches this message and the people are transfixed so much so that they don't go home to get food. And all of a sudden there's a a rumble in the jungle. People are hungry and Jesus shows up in this amazing, epic miracle. Aren't you glad we serve a God who doesn't just like heal our spiritual life? He cares what we eat. Praise God. That's good. He's like, you need some bread and fish. And he performs this amazing, astounding miracle. And here's how Jesus does miracles. He doesn't just give you enough. He gives you more than enough enough at the end of this day they're baskets of abundance as jesus fed the thousands upon thousands and then jesus does something i relate to he took a break let's pick up in our story matthew 14 verse 22 the bible says immediately after this moment He made the disciples this ragtag group of 12 men who said yes to Jesus from different backgrounds, from different walks of life, from different ways of thinking. He gathered them together and said, follow me. And you know what they did? They followed him. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And so here the disciples are. They're making their way across the Sea of Galilee. And it's really easy to go into Sunday school mode, if I'm honest, because I grew up in church. Maybe some of you did, some of you didn't. It's really easy to recall the highlights of this story. I want you to do your best to see it fresh today. So you got these 12 people who just witnessed a miracle and a busy day of preaching and teaching and they're tired and they're weary and they're on to the next and they're excited and they're grumpy and they're everything you would be if you would experience that too. And they make their way across the boat. It's about a two hour journey. And if I'm a disciple, I'm like, this is my two hour break. No one's watching me. No one's seeing like how well I listened to God. No one's checking to see if I passed out all the bread or if I gave away the most fish. This is my time for a break. And then verse 23, the Bible says, after he had dismissed the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain to himself to pray. And when an evening came, he was alone. And when I was a Bible student, I thought that the feeding of the 5,000 was the real miracle. And now as a parent of three young children, I see a new miracle. Jesus got alone time? Praise God. It's kind of miracle I can believe in. Verse 24, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land. And here's where the story changes. Beaten by the waves for the wind was against them. And I know this really happened to a real group of people, but there's also some metaphor teaching here Have you ever felt like the wind was against you? If you ever have the disciples know how you feel. Isn't it weird what a storm can do, how it can change your perspective? I love to take long road trips. As long as everything's going good and the gas stations are clean with their bathrooms and the soda fountain is filled with Coke Zero, I love a long road trip. But the minute a storm comes, I'm looking for a place to stop. Storms can change everything. They're a physical reminder that we're actually pretty small in this world. And things can get scary really quickly in a storm. And I just want you to know that when we hear the story, we're like, yeah, there was a storm they were tossed about. I want you to know what this really was. It was a life-threatening situation. Nobody knew who was going to make it out alive. There is no simple storm on the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee by its geography was the perfect place for a sudden, violent, unpredictable storm. It's surrounded by mountains and the height of the mountains rises 2,000 feet above sea level and it creates a natural collision course of cool and warm air that when it descends, it results in wild, swirling, unpredictable winds. And the Bible says, verse 25, and in the fourth watch of night, He came to them walking on the sea. If I'm the gospel writer, I'm like, hang on, let's unpack this. Like I'm asking questions about surface tension. I want to know. Like, are your feet wet? Like, tell me more. It just says, and there he came walking on the sea. But here's what we do know. He came during the fourth watch of night. And this was a Greek time measurement between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., And I just want to call out that you're in the midst of a storm. Things get weird. Things get weird in the middle of the night. These are discombobulated disciples, and they don't know what's going on. so let's have some empathy for them as we experience this story. But there's also a lot of spiritually significant things that happen in the fourth watch of the night. It was during the fourth watch of the night in the story in the Old Testament that's wild that a man named Jacob literally wrestled with God. It was on the fourth watch of the night that angels appeared to shepherds who were sleeping in a field and declared and proclaimed the coming of Emmanuel. It was during the fourth watch of night that a group of women walked to an empty tomb and found their king was alive. A lot of cool things happened during the fourth watch of night. And here we are. Let's pick up in 26. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, is it a ghost? And they cried out in fear. But immediately, Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter, and if you know anything about Peter, he's bold, he's rude, he's cool, he's spiritual, he's messy. And maybe some of you are messy today too. Peter knows how you feel. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come. Come. So Peter got out of the boat and he walked on the water and he came to Jesus, story over, hallelujah. And that's how we want most of our lives to be. But just like most of our lives, the story continued. And that's where it gets interesting. When he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him saying, oh, you of little faith. And the way that you read this, the tone of voice that you ascribe to Jesus in the story says so much about what you believe about Jesus. Like when you read this, when you hear this, how do you hear Jesus asking this question or making this statement? For far too long, here's how I heard it. Oh, you of little faith. And I just wonder today if it sounded more like this. Oh, you of little faith. Why did you doubt? And then when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Let me pray for us. We're gonna unpack what this might mean for our lives together. Jesus, just like you met Peter on a stormy sea, just like you responded when Peter cried out, won't you meet us here? And won't you teach us now? It's in the name of Jesus we pray. And all God's people said, I heard that amen. You just knocked five minutes off. Great job, let's keep going. Jesus asked, why did Peter doubt? That's a great question. The better question today is why do you doubt? Why do I doubt? The truth of the matter is most of us at some point in our lives will experience doubt. Just very few of us have a pretty safe place to talk about it. Most of us will experience doubt. And I wanna talk a little bit about the different kinds of doubt because I know that there's the kind of doubt that an unbeliever might be walking through. Like I've had the privilege of being friends with lots of people who don't consider themselves to be Christians And you probably have too, they probably live in your neighborhood You probably work or go to school near some of these folks And it's a privilege to have a friend who doesn't know Jesus I want you to hear that and know that today And I've talked to some unbelievers who would say, you know, my, the reason I'm not coming to Jesus is, is logically based like, and, and that's a small percentage in my experience, I can't speak for everybody In my experience, people who don't follow Jesus would like a small percentage would say, the reason why is like, it just, something doesn't add up. I I don't know that I agree with something in the historical record. I'm not really sure that I've examined all the claims of the cosmos. And, and so I'm just staying in this place of doubt. But can I tell you the truth for most people who have said no to Jesus, most of them aren't making logic based decisions. Most of them are making relational based decisions. Neil deGrasse Tyson, I mentioned this the last time I had the privilege of speaking. He's an astrophysicist, a brilliant mind. And the reason he doesn't follow God has nothing to do with what he's learned in science. Here's his basic relational question. If God is so good, then why is the world so bad? There's a second kind of doubt that I've heard non-believers say, and it goes like this. If Christ is so kind, then why does it seem like Christians can be so cruel? I just want you to know, If today you're in person or watching online and you would not consider yourself a follower of Jesus and you're here to check things out today, I want you to know you're welcome. You are welcome and your questions are welcome and you should have a place robust enough for you to explore your doubt. There's a second group of doubters and they're an awkward group because the name doesn't quite fit together, but we're real because there's a whole other group of doubters that our name is actually believers. And maybe that's why it's so hard to talk about doubt. Like I tell everybody, I'm a believer in Jesus, but the truth of the matter is, the closest people to me would know that sometimes I struggle with doubt. And so I just wanna dive in to the kinds of questions that you might be asking today if you could be revealed in your innermost thoughts. These are like little baby doubts, but sometimes the little things can become big problems if they sit there for a while. Questions we might be asking God, I'm not sure that you could really love somebody like me. Like, I know you have to, but God, sometimes I doubt that you really, really want to. Maybe that's been you before. I've talked to believers who say, I know that Jesus has saved me. I believe that Jesus has saved me, but there's this one part of my life I doubt he could really forgive. And so I just don't want to think about it. I want to talk about it. And it's still impacting me. It's robbing me of my joy. It's stealing the fullness that God might have for me. A little bit of doubt rooted in your past. How about this one? I'm not really sure, God. I'm not really, really convinced that you're actually better than what the world ha- offers. Like church is awesome. Don't get me wrong. I love going on Sundays. But the idea of giving more, like church is great. But so is like a new vacation home or Tesla or uh, the sex life I want. Like, I think you're good. I just sometimes doubt that you're better. How about the kind of doubt that says, I'm not sure if I will ever really see a breakthrough? Man, I've just sat with weary believers who will say to me, Aaron, like, I'm trying to believe but I've been praying for something for so long. If God is real, why hasn't he come through? Some of us doubt because we're not sure that God will ever ease a pain in our life. Sometimes we doubt because we're not really sure if God will ever fully provide in our life. And here's the doubt. If you want me just to be like so honest, here's the doubt Aaron deals with the most. Hey God, I totally believe that you can. I'm just not sure that when it comes to me, That you will. I totally believe that you can, but when it comes to me, I'm just not sure that you will. Some of you are like, why they got him up there? This guy filled with doubt. Well, let's keep going. Give me a chance. The Bible actually teaches us how to treat people with doubt. Let me read you a passage of scripture written in Jude 1, verse 21. Hear this. It says, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life and have mercy on those who doubt. And if you found yourself in one of those questions I mentioned, or if you found a brand new one, I want you to know the Bible teaches that church shouldn't be a place where you have to sit in shame for the part of you that is still wondering why. The Bible says that here's what a church should do a church should be a real place that walks with tender hearted compassion. You know why? Because it takes a whole lot of faith to be honest about your doubt but that's the only way things can change. And that's what I'm inviting you to do today. I wanna look at a couple things in this text today. Pull them right from scripture. The first one we see is this. Life gives us some pretty good reasons to doubt. If we're honest, life gives us some pretty good reasons to doubt. I don't know if you've noticed, but the world is pretty broken. Like I like to focus on the positive. I'm an optimist. You know, and there's people in my life that are realists, and you know the real definition of a realist—it's a pessimist who labels himself optimistically. <laughs> uh, <laughs> strike that from the record. I don't want to get in trouble. But life gives us some pretty good reasons to doubt. I want to set you back in this scene because I've been in similar places. Like here is Peter. He's like, "Man, I followed you." You ever had this conversation with God? Hey, Jesus, look at all the things I've done for you. I gave once. I think. I'll get in the giving statement, we'll see. Hey God, I served once, or I meant to. Hey Jesus, I said yes in church. Hey Jesus, one time I raised my hands. I'm feeling good. I'm ready for my share. And Peter's in the boat and these storms come and Jesus comes walking across. Peter gets out of the boat. The waves are crashing around him and he begins to sink. And for me, Jesus asks the most obvious question. Hey Peter, why did you doubt? Oh, I don't know, it could have something to do with the active hurricane all around us. Like, I wanna keep my eyes on you. It's hard to keep my eyes anywhere when they're being pelted by rain. Not just keep my eyes on you. Jesus, I'm trying to keep my eyes. Like, things were stormy in this moment. It was wild, but you know what's crazy? Peter had already seen Jesus calm a storm like this before. He'd already seen that Jesus could still the waves and with a voice speak peace into the midst of a violent storm. And so I think Jesus has a good question, but he doesn't ask it in the text. But I think Peter has a pretty valid question. And it's this, hey, Jesus, when I took a step out of the boat, why didn't you calm the water down? Why didn't things get easier in that moment? This is the wild dichotomy of faith with Jesus. Because on one hand, Peter is literally walking in to a historical, once-in-a-lifetime miracle. You want to talk about the mountaintop experience? I mean, that mountain was on a wave. He's standing in the midst of a miracle, and then suddenly he notices life hasn't gotten any easier. Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever at a moment where you're walking in faith? Things are going great with God. Life is changing. You've made big promises. You've experienced freedom. You've experienced goodness. Maybe even God has answered some prayers. And then all of a sudden you start to notice life is still challenging. And there are some questions that can shake our faith. Questions like why do bad things happen to good people? That's a real question. Here's another question. Why do good things happen to bad people? According to Jesus, why did Peter sink? Peter sank because he lost sight of Jesus. There's a truth that we see. Your faith will always follow your focus. Your faith will always follow your focus. And our faith is shaken when we see the wrong things. And so I want to talk about some of the wrong things that we can see. Some of us have seen the wrong promise of God. Some of us have believed in the wrong promise of God. I can't tell you how many times I've sat down with people who are struggling to follow Jesus, who say, Aaron, I've done everything. Why isn't life easy? And I want to say precious person, believer, one that God loves. The promise was never that life would get easy. Let me prove it to you. John 16, says this, Jesus, on the night before he gave his life for you, On the night before, he would be captured by Roman guards and marched through a sham trial in the middle of the night. On the night before, he would be whipped and scourged. On the night before, a crown of thorns was placed upon his head. On the night before, he was drug outside the city gates, carried his own cross up the hill of Golgotha, stretched out his arms, breathed his last breath. The night before all of that, Jesus said this. Hey, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world, you will have trouble. You wanna know the promise? It's right there. That's the first half. In the world, you will have trouble. In the world, you will have storms. Because guess what? Right now, we live in a broken world and broken things happen in a broken world. But the beauty of Jesus is he doesn't leave us there. He says, that in this world. You will have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. Jesus never promised that your life would be easy. Jesus said that in him, your life will be eternal. Jesus never said your life will be easy. He says that in him, your joy will be inexpressible. Jesus never said it would be easy. He said that in Christ, your mission will be unstoppable and your inheritance will be imperishable. Jesus says that in him, your hardships will be real, but they will be temporary, that your pain will have purpose and that in a broken world, you as a co-heir with Jesus will also overcome the world. There's another thing that we see incorrectly. Sometimes we don't fully see the power of God. I didn't really grow up in a faith tradition that expected to see God working. Some of our news feeds were full this week about a national story gripping the nation. I mean, people on the news are talking about Jesus. It's cool because of a revival that's happening at a place called Asbury College. I mean, it's it's revival enough just to get a break from the bad news, amen? It's like, what? Amen, balloons? No, revival, yeah, let's talk. But you know what? I also hear a lot of people who are like a little like this. Like, eh, I don't know, we'll see. That's okay. It's okay to wonder. It's okay to kick the tires. It's okay to check things out. But you know what? I kind of grew up like that all the time. I kind of grew up in a faith, uh, a faith tradition where people didn't expect to see God move. And guess what? He didn't that much. <laughs> we got what we expected. Can I tell you? That is a mockery of the scriptures. Acts 1 8, you know what the Bible says? You, 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 you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Look what the Word of God says in 2 Timothy 1 7. It says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and of power, and of a sound mind. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 4.20, for the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in what church? Power. When is the last time you even asked God to move in a way that you can't explain? When's the last time you asked God to move in a way that you can't explain? I'll tell you a quick story. A couple of years ago, I took a group of college students on a mission trip to Portland, Oregon. You're already like, I'm praying right now. Good. Good. it was awesome. The donuts were great. Uh, and so it was the end of the week. I had uh, a young lady there, a young college student by the name of Ashley. And Ashley was the product of a gorgeous restoration story. For years, she's been running for God from God. And for years, her parents would come to altars just like this and beg for God to move. And one day, he just did. One day God captured Ashley's heart and she was radically changed, radically saved and couldn't wait to tell other people how to be the same. And she came with us on this mission trip and it was the end of the week. It was that moment of like, oh, we worked hard, we fed the 5,000, kind of. Uh, They wouldn't take what we had, but that's fine. And uh, we were going to celebrate at a church service right in downtown Portland. Uh, We were gonna go hear a preacher that many of us have heard before. We were super excited. I'm like kind of starting to check out as the group leader, like, ah, it's been a lot. Here's our break. And we get out of the van and we cross the crosswalk and Ashley was hit by a car. And thank God she was alive. So I'm watching this scene and I had this faith-filled week. I had had donors supporting me to be there. I had sent out prayer letters. I had written a a blog. I had even filmed a video update and all of that faith drained in that moment. And I started asking some tough questions. Most of them, I can't repeat in church if that's okay. Um, The accident was bad. Like it wasn't one and done. Ashley was pinned under the car by her foot Her ankle was rolled, her foot was crushed and the driver of the vehicle literally had to back the vehicle up to get her out from underneath the car. And I'm thinking, I'm done, I'm fired. I should be fired if I'm not fired. This is the worst thing that somebody could do on a mission trip. You are not supposed to get people run over by cars when you are trying to tell people about Jesus. Like, this is bad. And they get her to the sidewalk and they call an ambulance and the whole time, I'm just like drained of all faith. In that moment, I didn't feel anything like a Christian there's this still small voice that kept repeating an old scripture in my head. And it said, no weapon formed against you will prosper. I just remember arguing with that voice saying it wasn't a weapon. It was a Prius and it won. (laughs) And that verse kept coming back. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. And I'm arguing. I'm like, this is out of context theologically. That's not what that verse means. And the still small voice said, there's no weapon formed against you that will prosper. I mean, there's a moment, I just gave in to that voice of truth. I said, then fine, God, somehow show up so that no weapon formed against us will prosper. we get in the ambulance and people are like starting to look at her foot and I'm like, oh good, maybe it's not as bad as it looks. And they go, ooh, that's a crush injury. I'm like, no weapon formed against us shall prosper. We make our way up to uh, the hospital at the top of the hill. They put Ashley on a hospital bed. The doctor comes over. Ashley starts sharing Christ with the doctor. I'm like, Where's that faith? Get some of that in me. And so the doctor's totally ignoring it, totally checked out. She's like a a typical Portlander woman of science. She has all her doubts and all her reasons why. She's like, ah, okay, enough. And, um, She takes a look at the foot. She's like, oh, it's a crush injury. So they put us back in a room. And I'm like, I don't even know if I have enough money on our church credit card to pay this deductible. I don't know how you get someone home on crutches. Like what is surgery gonna look like? We're checking out of our Airbnb tomorrow. Like all the faith is gone. And I hear God saying, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. And then I felt almost like this whisper, this just feeling, this inclination, this pushing that said, I want you to go pray for her foot. And I'm like, God bless her foot. He's like, that's not what I mean. I'm like, bless it, it's so good. And, um, <laughs> and I just sense God was saying like, no, go up and ask me to heal her. And I'm like, mm, no, I don't think so. That's a great idea. I love it. Save that for someone for someday. I love it. Like maybe, maybe on the third world mission field that happens, but this is like the United States. I don't think they do that here. I mean, this is like real talk. And they take her back for an x-ray and they bring her back. And I see that spirit, that voice saying, go pray for healing. I'm like, okay, I'm like, let's do this. So I walk up and I'm like, I can't touch her foot, it's crushed. So I'm like hovering, touching, it's wrapped up in a sheet. And I'm like, if I'm gonna pray, I'm gonna pray. Jesus, I pray that you would heal her foot and there would be no broken bones. And as I said it, I'm like, that's ridiculous. Like there's so many broken bones. looks gross. And so I go sit down, no sustained faith. I'm not like, I did it. I did it. I did. Go check it. I prayed. It's fine. No, I was like, this is terrible. Like, what am I going to do? I'm like sweating bullets. And um, the doctor comes back in and goes, we need to do a second x-ray. And she goes, do you have any other pain? And Ashley's like, yeah, my hip hurts. I'm like, her hip is broken too. I didn't pray for the hip. And they're like, all right, let's bring you back. We're gonna x-ray everything. And the whole time I'm like, this is, this, this is the end. And they finally bring her back. And the doctor, the unbelieving doctor walks back in. And she goes, well, we're gonna wrap you up in an ACE bandage, give you some Tylenol, but you can go, you're fine. And Ashley said, that's a miracle. And the doctor said, yeah, that's a miracle. And I stood in that moment and I walked away. And here's my real question. Why are we so surprised? Ours is not a kingdom of talk, but of power. And we've made our faith gatherings so filled with good talking. But come on, where's the power? Who needs some power today? Can I tell you what squelched my faith? is that when I got back from the trip, I was sharing that story with some leaders in our church and they're kind of watching me like this, like, hmm, what have we let him do? (laughs) And one of my mentors came up to me afterward, a person I love very much. And they said, hey, Aaron, great story, but do me a favor, don't tell that anymore because I think it freaks people out. And you know what I learned that day? That both faith and fear, they're both contagious. And I wonder who you're surrounded by. I wonder if you have anybody in your life who can take a little bit of faith and fan it into something that could change things. Sometimes we doubt when we don't fully see the heart of God. I have friends that have walked away from Jesus and they will say something like this. I was going through suffering and someone came up and told me, I guess God just wants you to suffer. And I couldn't deal with a God like that. I'm like, the God you're talking about is Zeus and Zeus is dead. You're not talking about Jesus because whoever told you that God just wants you to sit in your suffering doesn't know the Jesus of the Bible. Because according to Hebrews chapter one, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. The Bible says in Hebrews one, that Jesus is the exact imprint of God's nature it says that he right now is holding the universe together so if you really want to know what God is like check out what Jesus is like and here's what Jesus is like when he saw the lost he pursued the lost when he saw the hurting he healed the hurting When he saw the sinner, he offered forgiveness to the sinner. When he saw the brokenhearted, Jesus wept. When he saw the sick, he healed the sick. When he saw the marginalized, Jesus offered dignity. And when he found the dead, he could raise them back to life. That's who our Jesus is. If you want to know God, look to Jesus. And I just want you to know in a moment, we're going to offer you the opportunity to come forward and have somebody pray for you. So I want you to go ahead and start wrestling with it so you have enough time. But here's why I think it's a good idea. Because what the Bible says in 1 Peter 5, 7, it says, give your cares to God. Not because you should. No, here's why. Because he cares for you. Like he cares about what you're going through. There's another reason that we doubt we don't fully see the power of the cross. Oh, I wish I had more time and I could dive into this more fully, but let me just read you this passage. If you've ever wondered if God could really forgive you, if you've really wondered if you've ever gone too far, if you've ever wondered that that secret sin could pop back up in your life and destroy everything and so you have to keep it under wraps, but under wraps, it's creating the environment for doubt to grow in your life like mold. If you wanna kill mold, you can't just kill mold. You have to kill the place where mold grows and mold grows in isolation and in silence. I want you to hear this scripture. If you've ever wondered if all of God's anger towards your sin has been taken care of, here's what the Bible says. 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake. For our sake, God made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, not just so that he could set a good example, not just so that he could make a good Christian point. Here's why Jesus took your sin on the cross. Are you ready? So that you might become the righteousness of God. And our churches are filled with people who think they're second class citizens because they don't know the full power of the cross. Do you really know who Jesus is? And my second question is, in Jesus, do you really know who you are? Point 2, don't worry, they go quicker. Number 2, I need a name in. I need a name. Let's go. Number 2. Jesus is the safest place to bring your doubts. Jesus is the safest place to bring your doubts. Remember the story of the guy who got labeled with doubting Thomas? Terrible name. And he's just being honest. He's like, yeah, I staked my life on following this guy. I thought he was gonna you know, make everything great again and we're living in exile and he's dead. If he really is alive, then let him walk in here right now and stretch out his hands and let me touch his hands. Have you ever been talking about somebody and realize they're in the room? Oh, hey grandma, I didn't know you were there. No, I don't think you're crazy. Just eccentric. Um, and Jesus shows up. And he heard Thomas make those bold statements. Like, if he's here, let me touch his hand. He didn't smack him in the head. You know what he did? He reached out his hand. And if you get shockingly honest with God, you know what he's gonna do? He's gonna come to you. You ever been around people who are shockingly honest? I have a five-year-old son. Quick story, it's fun. (laughs) He was hanging out with my grandma, who I love. She's not here today watching from home, I bet. Um, And he was sitting with my two-year-old daughter and he looks up at my grandma and he says, Nana, When Rosalie's my age, you'll probably be dead. (laughs) And she said, how do you know? And he goes, it's just science. (laughs) Savage. I was like, son, we live in the South. We are not that honest to people's faces. We say, bless your heart and keep moving, okay? But he was born in Portland, so I'm lucky he's not holding a protest sign. But what I was saying is, when's the last time you got radically honest with God? We all have those safe prayers. What if you pray those real prayers? I was talking down front one Sunday to a guy and I challenged him just that. He said in my prayer life, I'm telling all my friends what I really think, but I'm telling God what I think he wants to hear. I was like, what if you started telling God what's really in your heart? See, there's a great King of Israel, the greatest. His name was David. And guess what? He dealt with doubt. And you know what he's called? A man after God's own heart. I want you to hear some of the doubts David had. How long, O oh Lord, will you forgive me forever? Whew, that doesn't belong in most church services. Would anyone like to testify? Oh, not you. How long, O oh Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Have you ever felt like God just wasn't coming through? Then ask the question, how long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? And how long shall my enemy be exalted over me? And in the midst of a piercing question, something amazing happens. God showed up. And then in verse 5, he says, But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he's dealt bountifully with me. I want to tell you today, church, what I'm calling you to faith, because it takes a whole lot of faith to get real about your doubts. Third point doubt doesn't have to be your destiny. Doubt doesn't have to be your destiny. I just want to point out we don't have time to go into it. There's a big difference between doubt and denial. Doubt says, I wonder. Denial says, I've come to a conclusion and it's no. Can I tell you something? Peter dealt with both. Peter dealt with both. on the night Jesus gave his life, he denied Jesus three times. And because God is good on the beach of the very same body of water where this conversation took place. You know what Jesus did? He came for Peter. And you know what he did? He restored Peter. I don't care what you're dealing with today. It's not bigger than God. Doubt doesn't have to be your destiny. The Bible says in Romans ten seventeen, faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ. And maybe you need to hear from somebody today that there's still reason to believe. I love in this passage that Jesus calls Peter, you of little faith. Like, oh, oh, uh, hey, Jesus, what do you think of me? You of little faith. Mm, next, what else? What else do you think about me? But I'll tell you this, Peter showed that you can do a whole lot when you start with just a little bit of faith. Because starting with just a little bit of faith, Peter walked on water, he saw the risen Jesus, he preached revival that changed the world, and through the word of God, he still teaches people today. I wonder what you could do, what God could do, if you will bring him just a little bit of faith. And the fourth thing, dealing honesty with doubt can lead to the deepest faith. Dealing honesty, honestly with doubt, can lead to the deepest faith. I just want you to know that there's no formula for this. There's principles and guidelines, but there's no formula. If you're like, ah, is it the prayer of Jabez or the prayer of somebody? I just say that, it's like a spell and God has to do what I want. There's no formula for this. God is not inviting you into a ritual. God is inviting you into a relationship. Have you ever been in a relationship where a fight can actually make things stronger? I'm looking at my wife, she's going, no. (laughs) I was once talking to a friend of mine who's a pastor. He started dealing with marriage troubles. He was so ashamed. Finally said yes to counseling. And you know what counseling is? It's a really safe place for people to get honest. I recommend it. I'm a fan and a customer. And he says, I was talking to the marriage counselor and um, he started talking to us about our fighting style. And the counselor said, when you're fighting with your wife, what is your goal in the fight? He's a type A guy. He said, my goal is solutions. And the counselor goes, oh, no wonder. And he said, what? Why Why'd I say wrong? He said, as long as you're trying to troubleshoot your wife, she's going to feel like you're treating her like a robot. This isn't a ritual. This is a relationship. And then my friend asked a great question that I want you to hear today. He said, then what's the goal of a good fight? He said, the goal of a good fight is the same goal for everything else in a good marriage. The goal is intimacy. I want you to know today, what is the promise of God? The promise of God is that you can stand in the presence of God and know that you are loved, wanted, powerful, and changed. Let the kingdom come. I've heard people all the time say, I wanna grow in my faith, what do I do? I wanna tell you this, honesty with God leads to intimacy with God. Honesty with God leads to intimacy with God because when you're honest with God, with your doubts, it says that you trust the heart of God while you're still pursuing the mysteries of God. As we close today, I wanna to talk about faith. Hebrews 11, 1 says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Genuine faith is seeing what God sees and living like it's true. And I wonder what you need to see today. Maybe it's a vision of a refreshed life in Christ. Maybe you need to see the promise that God still hears your prayers. Maybe you need to see that God has never, ever, ever given up on you. Maybe you need to see he's never, ever, ever given up on that one who's so heavy on your heart right now. And it takes some courage to step forward and ask for what you need. If faith comes by hearing, here's what I wanna speak today. I wanna speak courage. I wanna speak courage. Would you bow your head and close your eyes for a moment? I wonder if there's anybody in this place that you would say, hey, Aaron, I'm not sure where I stand with God. I've been working for so long to get on his good side and I'm weary, I'm tired. Maybe there's somebody in here today that said, Aaron, if I left the world today, I don't know where I would spend the rest of eternity. Can I tell you the Bible says there is a God and he is good. There's a problem and it's sin there is a solution and he is Jesus. He has paid your price and there is a response and it is your surrender. And I wanna invite somebody to respond to Jesus right now. I don't know if there's anybody that says, Aaron, I'm just ready to know him. I'm ready to invite him in my life and change him. Aaron, I want my sins forgiven. I want Christ to live in me forever. I want this new life. I wanna start this relationship. If that's you, but just me looking on the count of three, I wonder if you'll lift your hand high so I can pray for you. Aaron, I want to know Jesus today. If you'll just lift your hand high. One, two, three. Lift your hand all over the room. Praise God, I see your hand. Praise God, praise God, praise God. Praise God, you can put your hands back down. I don't know if there's anybody in here today that says, Aaron, I need to be, need to be honest with somebody. I can't leave the room without asking somebody to pray for me. The Bible says that you can fan the flame of faith by the laying on of hands. And we'd be crazy not to give a chance to that today. I'm gonna ask for our prayer team to come forward. We got some godly men and women. They're gonna be standing here at the front. They're normal people like you and me. And today they wanna stand here, pray for you, offer prayer to anybody who needs it. I just wanna encourage you to be brave. If today you wanna give your life to Jesus for the first time, just in this quiet moment, tell Jesus, And here's what I encourage you, stand up out of your seat when I say amen and come forward and tell somebody, I wanna give my life to Jesus today. Maybe you know you need to be baptized, tell somebody. And they're just real people who wanna speak real faith in your life. Maybe there's a burden on your heart. Don't leave with it unspoken today. Let me pray.